Welcome everyone to episode six of season five of the Northern Spin podcast. My name is Michael Taylor by day and the editor of Business Desk in the Northwest. I'm joined by happy, clappy Chris Maguire here. Yep. Yeah. Positive news only. Always positive. Yeah. And I've got you a book, Chris. It's the case for the centre-right, given that you've done such an atrocious job of putting <laughs> the case for the centre-right okay. in the course of this podcast. Not helped, of course, by the Conservative government. Okay. But this is the Northern Spin podcast, where we like to put a Northern Spin on political events. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I have got some good news, you'll be pleased to know. Um, now, you met up with Times journalist and Conservative peer, Daniel Finkelstein. Um, I think you're going to talk about that later on, actually. Um, and you got him to post a video because apparently he is a massive listener of the Northern Spin podcast. More than that, Chris, he said, um, I said, Can I quick picture of you, the Old Trafford cricket ground in the yeah. background. And he said, I'll do you a video for Northern Spin. It was lovely. He volunteered well, it without me even suggesting Well, it. I'm going to play it. And, and, and the very clever people <laughs> at What Media are going to try and insert this into our podcast. So, Hello, this is Daniel Finkelstein of The Times. I just want to say, I hope you're all listening to the Northern Spin podcast. If you really want to know what's going on, you're a fool if you don't listen. You're a fool if you don't listen. And I think that is a ringing endorsement. Um, there are, of course, much more serious matters going on, and we are going to talk about yeah. the harrowing scenes coming out of Israel. Is that, is that going to make Gaza. it to your uh, Friday good news? What, that video? Yeah, should do. I, I think the bar's a bit higher than that, and that's no disrespect to Daniel Finkelstein, who I'm a big fan of as well. Um, but we have got more good news because the number of downloads of Northern Spin are up 75% in the last 30 days. And that's before Daniel Finkenstein's uh, involvement. Actually, in fairness to Daniel Finkenstein, he's a massive, he's a director at Chelsea Football Club. So I'm glad he's still kept his sense of humour. Um, I think our performance is one of the reasons why FI Real Estate Management and Assets Capital are both sponsors of the Northern Spin podcast, but uh, more about them later. So what are we talking about today? Yeah, well, I went to Liverpool last week to attend the Labour Party conference as a visitor. I wasn't a delegate. So we'll be discussing that. Um, so that, explains, that explains why you're so chipper today. Well, was the Labour Party conference everything that you hoped it would be? Well, I wasn't expecting to use the word sparkle and Keir Starmer's speech in the same uh -huh. sentence, but I hadn't counted on a protester covering the Labour leader with glitter. On a more serious note, I thought, because I didn't go to uh, to Liverpool, I thought Starmer's admission that he's a yimby rather than a nimby and he's a builder, not a blocker, was a lot bolder than we used to. Um, and I think, I think Labour will be very happy with the uh, way the speech was received. Yeah, I think we're going to shake up our normal running order on the podcast this week. Rather than just discuss the latest Starmer v Sunak back and forth, we're going to start talking about some other bigger issues, but also how they play out, how they get discussed locally. None of us, I think, can um, we, we can't uh, avoid the issue of what's happened in the Middle East, and not just because I was in Israel myself. I have been quite disturbed and shaken by uh, by what's been sh shown on our TV screens, not least for the fact that. Do you know what? If I'd actually checked in with work and said, I'm going to go to Israel that weekend on holiday, Alex actually would have said, who manages all this stuff, he'd have gone, might be better if you go the week after because other people were being away, but we made it work. And, and I would have done. There was no reason why I wouldn't have gone that week. And we'd, anyway. But for the grace of God. Doesn't bear thinking about it. No, you know, it absolutely doesn't. Um, now, I know you're going to give some insight onto uh, why Andy Burnham and the other elected mayors have kissed and made up with Keir Starmer after a meeting arranged by the new chief of staff, Sue Gray. That's good news. Yeah, relations between Burnham and Starmer have definitely improved. Uh, I'm going to explain why your mate, Lord Mandelson. Your mate. Your mate. Your is, mate. Yeah, well, listen. You love you, that, don't you? You're the one who says he's your mate. Um, but so you, but I, I'm always confused about when you use it. You'd go, oh, your mate, Rishi, your mate, Ben Blocker-Houchen. No, but you say to me. Who, who is oh. it, which you use ironically. 
you need to you need to use the full context of why you're referring to Lord Mandelson in that way. But you say to me, oh, one of your tech bros all the time. So I'm saying to you, one of your mates, Lord Mandelson, um, yeah, he may not be, well, he's an acquaintance of yours through the university, through your work at the university. Correct. And I'm going to explain why he is massively on manoeuvres. And in part three, you'll like this because uh, somebody said to me, Chris, your attempts to become more northern don't seem to be featuring much in the podcast. So I took that on board because I like to listen to the feedback of our growing listener base. And I went up to your old stomping ground, Lancaster Castle at the weekend. Oh, fantastic. Well, I look forward to hearing about that. Um, before we do that, we've got a few thank yous, starting with our colleagues at What Media, who expertly produce this podcast every single week. The unsung heroes of the Northern Spin podcast, the kings of video content creation. Every week, they turn all of this into the hit weekly podcast and YouTube show that is Northern Spin. Yeah, and that Ellis revealed that over the weekend she went to Bongo Bingo, which I've never heard of, but that sounds like great fun. Um, they really do go above and beyond. I'd like to thank our headline sponsors, FI Real Estate Management. They're headquartered in Chorley, but they have a network of properties across the UK, and tenants can tap into that network. They can cater for everyone from a one-man band working from home and needing space to enterprise customers wanting a whole building. They don't just work in one sector. They work across the office, commercial, and industrial markets. FI Real Estate Management pride themselves on growing with their customers on their journey if you need space contact fi and the uh, name in the game is a guy called matthew pickles if you're trying to find a name right thank you chris so we are the northern spin podcast we set up this podcast with the express intention of looking at politics from a northern angle um, yes, we cover national politics. We always like to see, uh, explain how these things play out in the north. But so, I think we can't not discuss some foreign policy issues and how they play out in the north. And so, we're going to be talking about Israel Gaza and what's happening and and how that's um, uh, how that's been interpreted and um, and how people have reacted in the north. But I just want to mention. So, I was at Labour Party conference um, on the ticket of. A Manchester-based NGO, that stands for Non-Governmental Organisation, and they're called the Mines Advisory Group, or MAG. And they're an incredible organisation. They operate all over the world in former war zones, physically removing munitions, armaments, and particularly landmines from conflict zones. And they asked me if I'd chair a panel at Labour Party conference. Uh, I said yes. And well, what, what an incredible and humbling experience it was. On the panel with me was a councillor from, from London, from the London Borough of Harrow called Paymina Assad. She works with David Lammy on the Labour Foreign Policy Group. There were other really smart people on the panel as well, Dr. Kate Ferguson, Joe Dresner, the Director of Policy of MAG. And get this, the Deputy Speaker of the Ukrainian Parliament, a guy called Alexander Kornienko. What an, a humbling and incredibly charismatic man he was i mean his his ukrainian is far um his english is far better than my ukrainian should i say if you told me that his ukrainian was better than yours that wouldn't have come as a surprise <laughs> no. that would have been insight from northern spin yeah yeah boom boom yeah. and and also there was uh, jack mcconnell who lord lord mcconnell a member of the house of lords the former first minister of scotland and the chair of the all-party parliamentary group on foreign policy but the main thing that I took away from the discussion, and it, and it kind of then percolated through everything else that I went to, all the different fringe meetings and discussions and receptions around Labour Party conference, was how serious and purposeful 
all the debate and contributions were. They weren't kind of esoteric demands. It wasn't like the constituency representative from the Chorley constituency Labour Party demanding to know why they didn't pass resolution 16B condemning something around the world. You know, these were really practical things about implementation, about action, about funding for programs, about resettlement of refugees, really, and, and interrogating how a future Labour government can really put foreign policy at the centre of its agenda, use the soft power that the UK inevitably has as a former colonial power, as a head of the Commonwealth, as a former member of the EU, as a member of the United Nations Security Council, to use and wield power and diplomacy in a wholly new and positive way to resolve conflict. And there was, one, there was only one quite amusing moment in, in what was a very serious discussion when someone said, shouldn't there actually be more women leaders? Because all these wars around the world that we're seeing all seem to be started by men. And everybody was answering the positive. And then Jack McConnell went, well, can I just say, I went, whoa, the former first minister of Scotland is pushing back yeah. on the idea that there should be women leaders. Yeah. And of course he wasn't. Yeah. He, was, he was reiterating the point. But anyway, it's so much, Chris, that I want to, what, what I want to mention though, is so much of the discussion that we have in this country about refugees and their plight is it's all about the impact that they have. They're taking our jobs, they're coming over here, they're bringing their culture. All the protests that we've seen outside the hotels where they're housed. And it's just this dehumanizing effect on, on, on those refugee communities themselves. And I guess I am probably a little bit more sensitive to it and more, have more experience of it, given that my wife is the head of fundraising for a charity that specifically has a refugee resettlement program for the, uh, through the Caritas charity uh, in the diocese of, Catholic Diocese of Salford. We, we, we discuss what we put on the, the show and we discuss this issue. And actually the thing is, although we are the Northern Spin and we're devoted to the North, you can't see the North in isolation because what happens outside our boundaries impacts on the North. There was a story last week and a lot of people, a lot of our listeners wouldn't have, uh, wouldn't have heard of it, I'm sure, but seven people, including a child, died after a crowded minivan driven by a, select, a um, suspected people smuggler overturned in Bavaria in southern Germany. Now, that minivan was designed to carry nine people. It had 23 people on board. Now, imagine the desperation that forces someone to climb into a minivan that should cater for nine people and is packed with 23 people in it. No, it's horrible. It's horrible. Um, Chris, I know you've been deeply moved as well as I have about the events in Israel and in Gaza and, you know, the displacement of people, the bombing of people's homes and towns, the the mass of the terrorist massacre, let's call it what it was, yeah. that triggered all of this. It is a truly horrific spiraling of, a, of an already depressing situation. Yeah, and I think um, what the events of Israel and Gaza, I think they did cast a shadow over the Labour Party conference last week. I think people were a bit more subdued. We're recording Northern Spin in Manchester. There have been reports that Manchester's sizable Jewish community have been forced to hire private security to patrol streets near schools and supermarkets. We have a mutual friend, entrepreneur David Levine, uh, who's written about it very powerfully on LinkedIn, about what it feels like to be Jewish and living in the UK, and it's scary. I've been contacted by another high-profile Jewish entrepreneur last week. He's devastated. In South Yorkshire, last week, Israeli flags flying above town halls in Rotherham and Sheffield have been removed. South Yorkshire's Labour Mayor, Oliver Coppar, condemned the act, saying they did not reflect the values of the region. I mean, when you say removed, they weren't just like someone writes an angry letter to the council and they send an officer up there to take them down. They were actually somebody climbed up the building and ripped it down and threw the flag on the floor to baying crowds of people saying, tear it down. I mean, absolutely. What, what must you be thinking as a Jewish person watching that? 
No, absolutely. Um, and the difficulty is, of course, is about trying to strike this balance because some of what we're seeing as well in, in Gaza, um, you know, it's, it's very, very, very difficult to read. And yep. uh, So you want to talk as well about the response of both the BBC, how yeah. journalists report these things, and the Football Association, which always thinks it's the saviour at these matters and that whether they have a minute's silence or 20-second silence seems to think whether that can sway a conflict one or the other. I, I, I do think football's God complex needs they need to have a word with themselves well, I mean, if you look at, I mean they took the knee for the best part of a season didn't they now the BBC refusing to call Hamas gunmen who carried out the atrocities as terrorists um, the BBC's world affairs editor John Simpson who I have a huge amount of respect for posted a video explaining their decision essentially he's saying that the BBC report the news rather than interpret it over the weekend, I don't know if you saw the pictures, um, the BBC's headquarters in Portland Place in London was daubed with red paint. It's hugely emotive, incredibly divisive. Similarly, the Football Association was branded spineless for not lighting up Wembley Stadium. Zarch in blue and white to represent the Israeli flag ahead of Friday's game against Australia. The Premier League's been criticised for its response or lack of a response to the Hamas attacks. Over the weekend, we saw pro-Palestinian protests in London, a sizeable protest in Manchester and elsewhere in the UK. Now, as well as the unfolding humanitarian tragedy we have this and it is a powder keg waiting to explode and that's the big concern that it's going to explode not just in israel and lebanon and gaza but it's going to explode elsewhere as well and i would suggest that's the reason why the bbc the fa and the premier league have taken the they've taken the stance that they have yeah i don't know if you saw some of the footage over the weekend of the, the comments and the chants that some people were doing on the palestinian pro-palestinian demonstration in london at the weekend i found that quite terrifying frankly um, there was a vigil in Manchester by the Jewish community, which I was told by one uh, Jewish councillor from one of the Manchester boroughs. He said it's really difficult to get Jewish people to come out on the street. So he was really, really impressed with the turnout uh, at that vigil in, in St. Peter's Square last week. Um, but again, it's been really difficult to strike the balance to get the tone of messages right that show empathy and you know, and, and, and some kind of human touch. Let's not forget, you know, the human beings losing their lives on a massive scale in a, in, a, in a war situation. And local politicians want to do the right thing by different communities. And, you know, the, the ones I was speaking to from Berry very much felt that. And what I'm trying to do in the last week is trying to become much more informed. So I'm listening to a lot of podcasts and reading a lot of stuff about it to understand it a lot more. Um, I'm going to move the conversation on a bit, actually. From um, I'm going to talk about the thawing in relations between the Metro mayors like Andy Burnham, um, Steve Rotherham and Keir Starmer. Now, we challenged Andy Burnham when he came on the show, which is still available, the last episode of season four. And uh, we asked him about his relationship between uh, himself and Keir Starmer. However... It's a full-on loving now. Yeah, well, I did a story off the back of uh, being at Labour Party conference. Uh, I went to a reception of the Northern Powerhouse Partnership. Uh, and, and my headline was, Blue Suits Abound, Burnham on His Best Behaviour. So I observed that Andy came into that reception at the, the Northern Powerhouse Partnership in the offices of Ernst & Young. He was sharing a platform with Alison McGovern, the uh, Shadow Employment Minister, who's really impressive, by the way. I've known her a long time. I used to work with her, her husband at Manchester Met University. Um, Andy gave some really warm words about Keir's speech. He said, you can tell the difference between a speech written for someone and one they wrote, and Keir clearly wrote all of that. But he also noticeably segued deftly from the introduction and the, the comments previously made by Alistair Mc, Alison McGovern, who said, 
that she trusted mayors like Andy and Steve Rotherham and Tracy Brabin to deliver devolved skills policy. And it was such a marked contrast to last year's quite tetchy standoffs where Andy, I think, felt quite snubbed by the Labour leadership. He wasn't given any kind of role on any platform or on the on the main stage. He wasn't referenced in any speeches. He gave off the vibe that he was quite a distracting presence to the Labour front bench. And he said, in response to what Alison introduced, mayors will be there to drive the agenda of a future Labour government. And that is such a rapprochement. That is such, as you say, a thawing of relations. So I was then told on Friday at a social event by a senior member of the GM officer class that my interpretation wasn't a happy accident, but it is a genuine spirit of cooperation that now exists. He seemed very pleased that I'd noticed and that meetings have taken place now between the mayors and Starmer that have really cleared the air and established a genuine mood of trust. So what's your take? Yeah, um, I would agree with all that. Uh, we spoke about the importance of Sue Gray's appointment. I mean, bearing in mind, of course, she was the civil servant who conducted the Partygate uh, inquiry. And you can see why the Labour Party was so keen to get her on board as Starmer's chief of staff. She's the one who's orchestrated this meeting. It's got her fingerprints all over it. I think, and we use this phrase a lot, about getting the barnacles off the boat. Clearly, Clint, you actually said you hate the phrase and you should never use it. It's uh, Linton Crosby, isn't it? I've said it's, over, I, I've said it's overused, but <laughs> I've now, I've now, I'm now using it myself. So Good. yes, I'm guilty by association. But um, I think what Starmer recognises, and actually what um, what Sue Gray recognises as well, actually, is that moving forward, if and when Labour form the next government, then it's in their interest to get on with their elected mayors. What they don't want is is awkward mayors. And I don't think they've got that. And there's just a meeting. Um, it, what it does underline, I think, is that um, Starmer's commitment to devolution. And that, I think, is a good thing. Yeah. So let's go to the break and have a quick word about our other sponsor, Assets Capital. Assets Capital is a leading Manchester-based independent specialist lender who, for the last 10 years, have supported UK SME, house builders, property investors and business owners to achieve their ambitions. Having lent over £1.7 billion to date and with ambitious growth plans, assets are well on their way to breaking through the £2 billion of lending as they embark on the next phase of their journey. They have a dedicated team of property professionals and lending specialists who pride themselves on getting to know their customers and being with them on every step of the journey. If you need a straightforward, no-nonsense lending partner with a proven track record, contact Andrew Charnley and the team at Assets Capital. Big enough to matter, small enough to care. Welcome back to part two of Northern Spin. Now, before we do our regular features of anything to see here and on manoeuvres, we're going to start by getting Michael's take on the Labour Party conference in Liverpool. Clearly, Michael, you are cock-a-hoop. Well, you know, I'm a journalist first and foremost, Chris. So <laughs> I'm there to observe, I'm there to interpret and give some of my insights from what I saw. So my headline on it was Blue Suits in Abundance and, and obviously the previous issue we talked about, about our mayor. Um, so yeah, the blue suits in the exhibition hall where once mighty trade unions took up huge floor space in their stead were colourful displays from banks, tech companies, so you'd have liked that, yeah. uh, consultants, and a particularly big showing from energy firms who obviously see a big bonanza 
if a Labour government is true to its ambitions of a green future. Now, one seasoned veteran that I uh, had a cup of tea in the fringes with told me that it felt more like a business conference than a gathering of the party faithful. Though I did point out to him, well, you're wearing a blue suit as well, my friend. Um, talk was of the industrial strategy and of being a responsible government in waiting. I had a good chat to the Siemens UK chief, former Siemens UK chief, Jürgen Meyer, who said his business colleagues are in and around you know, his peer group. They liked everything, all the mood music they were hearing. They liked what Rachel Reeves had said on the Monday. They were building up at that point to Keir Starmer's speech. And he, the main point he said, though, it was such a contrast to the Conservative conference the week before. But he did admit to me that he'd like to see a little bit more of a commitment from Labour on reinstating HS2 rather than just an eye roll. And he'd like to get it back on track. I think Starmer's speech, I think the reactions varied, but the consensus seemed to be that it was confident, prime ministerial, a little technocratic in, in, in parts. I think uh, Alistair Campbell described it as probably his best speech yet, which may be fair. I was really quite annoyed by all the stand innovations. It felt a little bit more stage managed and you know, I think he needed to seem like he was working the room a little bit more. And then there was the incident at the beginning of the speech where he was sparkled with glitter by a protester. Mm. And I thought his reaction to it, at the time, John Prescott was trending on social media saying Starmer should have knocked him out. <laughs> um, but I think the actual protest, it didn't do him any harm. It gave him the opportunity to take his jacket off. I think the sparkle on his shoulders reminded people of what had happened at the beginning. And yet he was remarkably unruffled. And it gave him that opportunity to use a line he was going to use anyway, which is, we have moved on from being the party of protest to being a serious party of principle and government. And yeah. Yeah, I thought, um, because there is a serious point there that a, a person, a protester can come up to the uh, potential next prime minister. Yeah. And, and there is a security issue there. And it reminded me of the, uh, the, the one, I think it was at Manchester Central, wasn't it, where somebody handed Theresa May a P45. Yeah. Um, which was quite effective as well. And how you deal with that is actually probably from an optics point of view is as important as your speech itself. Um, yeah, I thought it was, look, he's never going to be a particularly great and interesting orator, but you don't want, you know, you don't want a great orator. You want a um, prime minister you can trust. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot, if I may, and ask you a few questions yep. just from an outsider's point of view. Sure. Okay, what was your view on Rachel Reeves' speech, the shadow chancellor? Yeah, commanding. Um, she's clearly on a mission. She's not letting any light get in, not giving very much away, and seems very competent and capable. And I thought the endorsement from Mark Carney was a piece of strategic genius. It was, shows yeah. how serious she is. Yeah, because I think the you're trying to work out where the attack lines are going to come from, from the Conservatives, and it will always be about Labour, can they be trusted on the economy? Now, clearly... The Tories haven't helped themselves with what happened a year ago with Liz Truss and Kwasi Kwarteng, but I thought she wants to come across as the Iron Chancellor yeah. and she's not going to give anything. Um, speech for the women um, shadow cabinet members. What do you think of Angela Rayner's speech at the start? Yeah, and I thought Angela had a great conference. She came across, um, she was unequivocal in her support and managed got the trade unions on side, I think, and ensured uh, a real commitment to being pro-business and pro-worker, which is a difficult act to pull off, frankly. But I thought that she was very reassuring. I think she's really got a spring in her step at the moment. Yeah, I think she spoke about affordable housing and she made a point about talking about council houses. Yep. And, and not, think, not having that as a dirty word. People call it social housing, affordable. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of other words are used in different contexts. Same. And I think she made the point, 
yeah, I'm not ashamed of council housing and it could re-embolden local government in this country. Staying true to her roots. Um, what about Keir Starmer? I heard him interviewed by Chris Mason, the BBC's political correspondent, and he asked a question. So would you describe yourself as a Yimby, i.e. yes in my backyard to development? He said, yes, I would. And I thought, hang on a minute, have I just heard correctly? Was that a straight answer to a straight question to uh, <laughs> Keir Starmer? What do you think about Keir Starmer's straightness? Yeah, I, I thought that was really inspired, actually, to, to pick an issue like house building and almost to sort of pick an enemy without it being, you know, an individual person or, or to seem like you're ostracizing or, or bullying anybody, but to say that there is a systemic problem in our planning system, which means things can't get built. And he wants to be on a bulldozer. And I think he's made the political calculation that, you know, it's not high enough for, it's not high enough on the list of objections that people will say, no, I can't vote Labour because they'll build houses. I'm, I'm an unequivocal Yimby. Yeah. I, there's a, there's a, in, in my council ward, which was literally the council ward in the whole of Greater Manchester, which ultimately derailed Stockport's participation in the Greater Manchester Spatial Framework. There are people who have posters on their driveways with a gas mask on it with no to mass development. And also on that driveway, usually are two Range Rovers. Yeah? Yeah. Because they don't want other people to build houses in an area where they, they are privileged enough to lead, live. Uh, my kids, one of my kids describes them as hateful, and I am minded to agree. I, I, thought, um, I thought there was a, a tone coming from Labour. We talk about the ming Var strategy, but there was clearly on message, and I thought there were very few dissenters, even in a lot of the fringe events as well. One person who would have every right to be a bit miffed off at the moment would be Lisa Nandy. She was sort of demoted a little bit in the last reshuffle, but she was very much... Um, you know, she was uh, she was on message. I think she's a very good, uh, you know, I think she's a very good politician as well. But you also saw the likes of like Jamie Driscoll, the you know the northeast, uh, you know, the MP who's been who's been. He wasn't uh, an MP; he was a mayor. No, sorry, the mayor. He's been. Defrocked. He's not even in the Labour Party now. No, he's not. But he turned up, didn't he? He was on the fringes. Jeremy Corbyn was on the. the well, no, they they weren't at the Labour Party conference because they're not Labour Party members anymore. They were at an event around the corner called the World Transformed, which is organised by the left wing campaign group Momentum which was born out of uh, Jeremy Corbyn's leadership campaign. But the, 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 the way it was managed, it was, right, OK, he didn't want any of the distractions, did he? Keir Starmer and the Labour Party didn't want any of those distractions. And I listened to an interesting podcast about is, is the left dead? Mm -hmm. um, All right. Is the left dead? Who's, the, who's that by? It was by uh, Politico, which was very good. Hmm. Uh, yeah, I like that. OK, so is the left dead? No, it's not. I think um, Labour, if anything, need a really big majority after the next election. I think what they are in great danger of being is left to behaving themselves now and not interrupting the path. If it's a small majority, you know, Jeremy Corbyn rebelled against Tony Blair's government hundreds of times. Now, if that's a voting block of about 30 in a really small majority Labour government, and they find common cause with a few awkward and enlarged and emboldened Liberal Democrats and Scot Scottish nationalists. You know, you can have a rump of about, you know, 70 or 80 of an awkward squad that can make things quite difficult for a Labour government, and they might have to make concessions to them. So, no, never write off the left mm -hmm. in British politics. Uh, write them off at your peril. They haven't gone away. Uh, as much as uh, someone else who we're going to discuss in this podcast wanted them put in a sealed tomb, yeah. and we'll talk about that later, 
Um, no, I don't think they, they, they are dead, but they are certainly um, not part of the mainstream Labour message anymore. So you were saying now that you're... But just you're, listen, Andy, very briefly, sorry to yeah, no, keep, keep rabbiting on. I think she's really shown a lot of maturity in embracing the international development role and saying that the minister you know, the, an actual ministry for international development will be revived and that she would lead it and, you know, work, work on those issues around, you know, that we discussed at the top of the podcast around uh, refugees. Well, I was, I was it's, like, an, it's a much more important role than it, than it was um, a month ago. I was, I was delighted to see you, like, you know, rubbing shoulders with a Tory peer. We mentioned him at the start of the show, Daniel Finkelstein. Yes. Um, but he gave a bit of insight into Sunik's big gamble, didn't yeah, he? Yeah, he did. So I, I went to an event organised by the Stockport accountancy firm Hurst. It was held at Lancashire Cricket Club. And I was privileged enough to be invited to sit next to the guest speaker, Daniel Finkelstein, columnist at the Times, Lord Finkelstein. Um, and... Before he spoke at the event, we had a really nice chat, but he described where, where Labour are at the moment as a salmon moose moment. Now, it requires some explanation, but um, he, um, he went to a lunch when he was working for John Major, and <laughs> he was basically told he can leave now because we've got a much more important guest, and it was Tony Blair's Director of Communications, Alistair Campbell, because people didn't want to hear from John Major's people, they wanted to hear from the, the incoming government. And he said it feels like that at the moment. Labour Party conference felt like that, that everybody wanted a little piece of the future incoming government. Now, he said the centrality of the economy to politics is, has been writ large. Rishi Sunak has attempted instead to find another issue entirely, leadership. And that is really, really high risk. All parties, he said, fight elections on three bases. One is we are the change. Two is we're on the right track. And a version of that, which is better the devil you know. Now, he's a former advisor to both John Major and David Cameron, and he said he'd advise Sunak on the third one, better the devil you know, and try chipping away at, you know, the inconsistencies of, of, of Keir Starmer and, you know, pinpoint the failings of Angela Rayner maybe. Um, but instead, Sunak is betting everything on I am the change. And that was Sunak's speech, wasn't it, last it's, week at it's, Tory conference? It's hard to be the I'm change. I'm the change, back me. It's hard to be the change when you've been in power for 13 or 14 years. I'm going to go to our normal section here, anything to see here. So the COVID inquiry, which is ongoing, seemed to confirm everything that we've all feared, which is that Boris Johnson's wife, Carrie, and Dominic Cummings were more in charge of the country than Boris Johnson was. Anything to see here? Yeah, I think it's absolutely scandalous. I think we're seeing... Um, in black and white, just how absolutely awful that um, Tory government was under Boris Johnson. So I think, yes, there's everything to see there. We should be reminding ourselves on a daily basis about what an absolute clown show it was under Boris Johnson. But it was dangerous as well. Absolutely dangerous for our democracy. Just going to mention one thing, actually. Um, but there's a comedian. I know you listen to him as well, Matt Ford. Oh. He's done a really good podcast on Wondery about Boris Johnson. But he came out last week and said that he's got uh, a tumour on his spine, which yeah. is causing sciatica. And that really upset me because he's only 40 years of age. Yeah, it was. So I, I sent Matt a message on behalf of the Northern Spin podcast. You'd yeah. be pleased to see yeah. Chris. Uh, an amazing comedian. I saw him twice up at Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, such a lovely, lovely guy. And, and honestly, Matt, I'm praying and hoping that you have the speediest of recoveries and are, and are back to being your best at the, the earliest opportunity. 100%, 100%, yeah. yeah. 
So, Chris, let me ask you, as the one resident small C conservative on the Northern Spin podcast. Lapsed, lapsed conservative. All right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Centrist dad then. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so, Jake Berry, the MP for Rossendale and Darwin, who, just remember, do, do you like him or not? I can't remember. I'm not a big fan, but he aligned himself very closely to Liz Truss. And uh, <laughs> for that reason, um, I'm not his biggest fan, but, but I give him a fair crack of the whip. Yeah. So, anyway, Jake Berry has signed a pledge along with 33 other Conservative MPs, signing a pledge vowing not to vote for any new tax rises. Anything to see here? Yeah, definitely. This is desperate conservatives trying to sound like conservatives in a desperate attempt to retain their seats. And what you'll find when Labour win the next election, you'll you'll hear the conservatives talking so much about lower taxes. And uh, it'll be really hard because the Labour Party know that they're going into government, assuming they do, with no money in the coffers because the economy's in a fix. And the conservatives are going to say, actually, don't put up taxes. Uh, you're going to hear a lot more of this, I think. Um, quick prediction. There's two by-elections this week. One is in Midbeds, which was uh, Nadine Doris's old seat. That she had a majority of 24, 25,000. Yeah. Now that looks like a close run thing between the Tories, Labour and the Lib Dems. Can you call it? So what's my track record like in this series about predicting uh, by-elections? Well, when it comes to backing people that you like, they always lose. Um, you know, so you've backed people that no, you know. in by-elections. In by-elections. Pretty good, I think. I mean, you'll yeah. tell me. You'll no, tell no, me. no. I, I said Labour would... I said in the last series that Labour would hold Hamilton, would win from the SNP, Hamilton and Rutherglen. Yeah. And I said Labour would win Tamworth. What did you say about Uxbridge? I thought they'd lose that. I don't think we called that one. But, yeah. um, and I think on the back of Uxbridge, I think bizarrely the Tories will hold mid Bedfordshire. That's not because of any intervention from Nadine Dorries. I heard a, I read a piece at the weekend where a local person described her as a chocolate fire guard. Yeah. Um, that there's no great love for her and her interventions in it aren't going to help things one way or the other. So bizarrely, I think the Tories will hold it, not because they're popular, but because of a three-way split. So I think the Labour and the Lib Dems have both been vying to think, hey, no, this is one that we can win. And I think that will split the anti-Tory vote, which is the big motivator for people to come out and vote. Um, I think that will see the Tories over the line. One Conservative MP said bizarrely that that's going to be a bad thing long term for the Tories. Hear me out. Because the best thing he said would be for the Tories to win it because what it means is that Labour and the Lib Dems will wake up and say, right, we've got to be sensible about which seats we're going for. So I think the Lib Dems have said Labour can have Tamworth. We haven't got any base there. We've got no councillors. We've got no track record of campaigning there. That's Labour's to win if they want, and we'll just run a kind of a, a paper candidate campaign. But they've both gone for mid-Bedfordshire. They couldn't agree to differ on which one was the party best place to take on the Tories. I think that's going to split the vote, but I think it will focus minds both the Labour and the Lib Dems about which seats they will carve up between them. The, the Lib Dems have... And they were second to uh, the Conservatives in 80 seats. And these are the 80 seats that they're looking to try and win. You're not going to read them all out. No, I'm not going to read them all out. Um, but but you're right. In terms of mid-beds, Labour, Labour are going to the Lib Debs and their Dem voters and saying, we want your votes. You know, And as a consequence, that gives the Conservatives the best chance. I think the Conservatives could win uh, mid-beds. But I think if Labour don't win, Chris Pincher's old seat of Tamworth, I think it will be a real poke in the eye. I think it will be a real kick in the teeth for Labour. A wake-up call, I would a wake-up call. Well, yeah. I'll say kick in the teeth. You can but it's say... It's amazing though, isn't it? it, it, it not to take a seat with a, like a 20,000 majority is a failure. Well, I but mean... to have come close. You know, they won that seat 
in York, didn't they? Well, this was the point. Yeah, this they was a Kia. Kia yeah. at, 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 at Anstey. Um, right, okay. Going to talk on manoeuvres. Now, your old mucker, your best mate, I mean, I bet you've had a few beers with him over the years, haven't you? Well, no, I don't uh, drink. This, I know, but, you know. Okay, a cup of tea then. Okay, your old mate you've shared a cup of tea with, uh, a former colleague at Manchester Metro University, um, Lord Mandelson. Now, he has been all over the Labour Party conference. You literally cannot see a newspaper and not see his picture there. He's contributed to every single political podcast I've listened to, and I listen to a lot in the week. He's the co-founder and chairman of a lobbying group called Global Council, and now, and now that he's got a sniff, he's been in a political wilderness for 10 years he's got a sniff of labor being back in power he is elbowing himself into every photo he is the john terry of labor politics at the moment <laughs> got, like you've got to admit he's on maneuvers the, the amazing thing is if i said um if you'd come up to manchester and said peter i've just read that this podcaster called chris mcguire has <laughs> called you the john terry of political maneuvers yeah he'd say michael who's john terry he would yeah <laughs> yeah so yes that that is um that is definitely on manoeuvres. Yeah, yes. yeah. But firstly, I can just pull, pull you up on something. Global Council, his business, is a lot more than just a lobbying group. It's a high-level advisory business that he started after he left government in 2010. It's part owned by WPP, yeah. one of the biggest advertising agencies in the world. So my good friend John Davis, Professor John Davis from King's College London, saw Peter in action the night before I got to conference. And over lunch on Tuesday, he was telling me, that Peter had the City of London reception the night before in his hand, providing assurance to all these city grandees that Labour is a safe pair of hands for the economy on regulation and that he would be some, you know, a very useful conduit between a Labour government and the City of London. He's really carefully positioning himself there. And John's conclusion, so as well as being a biographer of Tony Blair, he's also a, you know, a great advocate of a lot of the leading figures in the civil service and in and in the new Labour years. He says Peter needs to have a role in a future Labour government. And he suggested ambassador to the EU or the US. I mean, do you think Mandelson is an advantage to Keir Starmer or not? Yeah, of course he is. I mean, he's incredibly wise. And he's, uh, you know, he won, he won a general election for several general elections. He's an incredible strategic brain. He's got huge credibility. He was a very, very capable minister. People often forget that. You know, they think of him as a prince of darkness. They think of him as, you know, this spin doctor behind the scenes and all that sort of thing. He was far more than that. And he was a hugely capable EU commissioner on trade as well. Mm. Yeah. So there's a lot more to him than, than I think people often give him credit for. John and I also discussed the idea that politicians don't like talking about profit, just investment, but that Tony Blair owned the market. And I, I've been thinking about that phrase quite a lot about how politicians, Labour and Tory, really don't like talking about things like profit and uh, making a turn. But, you know, because at the centre of, of business, as you know, as a business journalist yourself, yeah. covering the tech bros in the north, as, yeah. you, as you do, is, um, you know, that's ultimately what, what, what being in business is all about. And, and of course, it was Peter Mandelson, who is for, was forever haunted by a quote that he gave after meeting the president of Hewlett-Packard when he said he was intensely relaxed about people getting filthy rich, which, of course, most people, when they cite that quote, don't 
add on the second bit, which was as long as they pay their fair share of taxes. Yeah, I mean, it's soundbite politics again. I know Mandelson's rode back a bit on that uh, on that quote, but um, yeah, it's uh, history. I don't, didn't... I don't think he has actually. Well, he I saw an article that he did with the Guardian where he regretted it. Um, it no, least, he... uh... oh, go on. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 no. Okay, we've got another name on the, on manoeuvres. Yeah. So tell me all about Anna Subri. Yeah, former Tory minister who's announced on X, formerly Twitter, I'm not calling it X, um, <laughs> that she plans to vote Labour. Well, what do you think? Well, I, I wouldn't say she's on manoeuvres. I would say it's an endorsement for Keir Starmer that he'll, on balance, probably welcome. She's sort of left politics. She's gone back into um, the law. She was a barrister as well as being a TV journalist in previous versions of her life. She was one of the MPs that joined the Chukaramuna Breakaway Change UK group that I supported and stood for in the European elections of 2019. But as I said, Anna's left politics now. But that's, yeah, that's quite a great endorsement for Keir Starmer. But I wouldn't say it's evidence of her being on manoeuvres. No. Okay. And on that note, Michael, we're going to go for a quick break. I've always believed that a vibrant media sits at the heart of any community and the business community is no different. So if you're in business, then the businessdesk.com is for you. We're up with the lark every morning to bring you the day's business news. We have regular events, credible news, and lots and lots of other events to bring people in the business community together. So log on now, thebusinessdesk.com for all your regional news. Welcome back to part three of the Northern Spin podcast. We sometimes call this bit the fun bit, and I'm delighted to hear that your attempts at becoming more Northern have taken a huge step forward. How so? Yeah, me and Mrs. Aim have decided that now that the cricket season's finished, we want to go out and we want to see more of the North. I mean, we've lived here for 18 years, but there's things on our doorstep we've not seen. So at the weekend, we had the inspired move to go to uh, Lancaster for breakfast. Uh, and we also thought we'd go to Lancaster Castle, uh, Mrs. M's idea, because she does listen to the show, not mine. And uh, we had a tour of Lancaster Castle. Now, I should say that I'm a massive fan of true crime podcasts, but not everybody is. So if it's not your cup of tea, turn away for the next 60 seconds or so. A few facts about Lancaster Castle, right? Between 1800 and 1865, a total of 213 people were executed at Lancaster Castle. We saw the spot where they dropped, quite literally. The trial of the Pendle Witches took place there. Uh, 11 were tried. 10 of them were executed under the flimsiest of evidence. The, what I hadn't realised, the trial of the Birmingham Six took place there, as well as the infamous Handless Corpse murder trial, which is uh, in Chorley and Leyland as well. And there's a police exhibition in one of, the, uh, uh, one, of the, one of the areas of the castle where the bath used by the murderous Dr. Buck Ruxton, uh, which he used to dismember his victims. Now that tour cost eight pound and it was money well spent. Unlike, listen to this, the five pound 20 that Mrs. M spent on an orange juice at breakfast without realizing it. Five pound 20, I couldn't believe it. <laughs> so have you got any TV recommendations as well you've been watching? Yeah, I watched, uh, I'm watching one at the moment and it's the BBC's The Reckoning about Ooh, Jimmy, like Jimmy Savile. Yeah, Ooh. yeah, yeah. Starring Steve Coogan. Um, there's a certain, th I think to myself, do I want to watch this? Because I know that case quite well. It's disturbing. It's compelling. I don't think it shows us anything new, but I do think Steve Coogan is, is brilliant. 
So you spoke to Jimmy Savile, didn't you? Tell us about that. Yeah, yeah. I used to work at the Yorkshire Evening Post and I sat behind a lady called Alison Bellamy, who then went on to write the official uh, authorised biography of Savile. Interestingly, the guy who sat behind me was a guy called James Hunter, who was a Bradford football correspondent. So I was either answering the phone to him, which was nearly always Chris Kamara, because that was the time when he was the manager, or I was answering the phone for Alison Bellamy, and quite often it would be Jimmy Savile. Um, I can't say I remember much about those conversations, other than to say that he was always the showman. Even when you asked him, it's Jimmy Savile, and you could almost imagine him shaking his wrists with <sighs> his excess of jewellery. It's it's like a, it's a disturbing watch, and like I say, I don't think we learned anything new, but I think it's good that the BBC have done it. And what they have done is they've got footage from Savile, and they've got uh, interviews with some of his victims. And you're watching it, and you keep saying to yourself, and me and my wife have both said this: How did he get away with it yeah. for so long? It's scary. What have you done? Look, my, my sister wrote to Jimmy Savile on Jim Will Fix It to ask if uh, he could fix it for her to meet Gary Glitter. <laughs> and, and sit on the edge of his um, I know. red sofa for the whole of the show. I, I, the thing is, if I said to you, can you remember the theme tune to Jim Will Fix It? Can you remember it? No. Yeah, I, I, I can. And most people of my age can. Yeah, yeah, I can. Jim Will Fix It for you. you <laughs> no. Horrible. Yeah, absolutely vile man. It's funny, isn't it, though, that several attempts to get close to the truth of the story. Everybody knew he was a bit creepy and a bit odd. Yeah. But I didn't know the extent of it, some of the other things that have come out. I'm not sure I'm comfortable watching the Steve Coogan thing. I'm in a fragile state of mind at the moment. No. I think, no. I, need, I, think I, need, I need nice things to insulate myself, I, I, myself from the world. No, I get that. I get that. Which brings us nicely on to Beyond the Music. Yeah. So I went to the inaugural Beyond the Music. Uh, conference exhibition festival on Friday last week. Um, it's a, a festival that's very much in the spirit of the previous uh, equivalent event in the city, which was started by the late great Anthony H. Wilson. And it's uh, the force behind it is his son Oliver uh, Rose Marley from Cooperatives UK. He's also very very involved in it. I really enjoyed the sessions on live music and the mayors put on a really good show. Um, they were also giving their own early recollections about how they got involved, you know, how, how much music means to them. So, you know, inevitably you sit there and you're taking your own journey, my musical journey about going to see gigs at Lancaster University um, in my in my early teenage years. Um, who was, what's the first band you ever went to see live? Well, I've only actually ever been to about three concerts. I oh. went to see Robbie Williams, I went uh, who was performing with Top Loader. I went to see uh, You're Like This. I went to see Harry Styles this year. But this is this year, but you're, you're, not, you're not used to go when you were a kid. No, 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 this is me. This is Chris McGuire. You know, I like Roy Orbison. I, I, I got into Roy Orbison after he died. Right, okay. The Everly, anyway. the Everly Brothers, I like them. So anyway, Steve Rotherham, obviously moving swiftly on. Yeah. Steve Rotherham, the mayor of the Liverpool City region, revealed that he's been lobbying the government on behalf of a Liverpool band called China Crisis. Mm. So I got all excited when he, when he dropped their name into it because I like them. And he also told the story about how going to see the jam in 1978 changed his life. And I thought, yeah, I've been on a similar journey to that. And then, then he said, yeah, and I told Paul Weller that when I met him last year. Mm. And the interviewer said, oh, what did Weller say? And he went, well, he wasn't asked really. <laughs> <laughs> which if you kind of know anything about Paul Weller, you would find that intensely amusing. Yeah. But which, as you which, don't, as no, you don't. don't. It's, it's gone straight over it's the gone top, right? Yeah. Anyway, so it was really great to see Tracy Brabin, Andy Burnham, and Steve Rotherham on the same platform. I also bumped into Tom Gray from the band Gomez, who um, I had a photo with last year. Yeah. Really, really interesting guy who's doing loads for, for music. He's 
born in Southport originally. I've just Mer tripped over. Mer I've just Mercury mu mu Music Prize winner. I've just tripped over all the names that you've dropped in the last two seconds. Have there. you been keeping a tab on this podcast? It's about 63 names that you've dropped in this podcast so far. Chris, it's because I'm well informed and well connected. That's <laughs> okay. why you asked me to join this that's podcast why, with that's you. That's why you get paid the big money for. Yeah, No, for that's sure. why we do this podcast, 100%. to give people insights because of the networks that we have. I'm being naughty. I'm being naughty. But you're right, of you're course. You're being yeah. mean. You are, yeah. Right. Anything else? What, what else do we want to talk about? And what we should ask the people out there, what, what should we talk about next week? We should put a plea out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you look at our uh, social media following, it's growing, which is what we wanted. Um, we're This is episode six of the uh, season five of Northern Spin. It's amazing how quickly, you know, we're moving through these podcasts, but we constantly want to improve and uh, and reflect um, what, what our listeners want. Yep. So, uh, and Ellis is waving a mobile phone at us, telling us, Chris, Michael, shut up. Shut up. Yeah, and I'll be uh, reading this book cause, so you don't have to do the case for the centre-right. Yeah. Just so I can be well informed about the opposition's arguments as okay. well. So that's it. That's it for season four, episode six of season five of the Northern Spin podcast. If you want to sponsor us, you know where to find us. We're on Apple Podcast. Please review us. Follow us on Twitter at Northern underscore spin one or watch us on YouTube. Thank you to What Media. Thank you to our sponsors, FI Real Estate Management and Assets Capital. Thanks to Elliot Taylor for providing the music, New Beginnings. That was his track. It's amazing. My name is Michael Taylor. And as always, my name is Chris McGuire.